Hello and welcome to The Bolt Report. I'm Corey Bernardi. Now we are standing by for a press conference from the Prime Minister. It's expected at around 7.15. But until then, there's a lot we want to push on with and we've got a jam-packed show lined up for you tonight. Coming up, the government seeks to reassure the public on vaccines and it vows to reform workplace sexual harassment. I'm going to talk about that with Craig Kelly, who's going to join me shortly. And after Vladimir Putin extends his reign until at least 2036, Russia continues to be a global threat. Now they've got a new nuclear-powered torpedo added to its military capability. We'll discuss that with experts. And woke airlines and white robots? You won't believe it. I'm going to get some straight talk with New South Wales One Nation leader Mark Latham. Do not miss it. But first, there are a few things more satisfying than a diplomatic up yours to someone trying to do you damage. I think it shows tenacity and strength, as well as that famous Aussie irreverence. Well, today, I'm really pleased to say we did just that. And this time it was to the Chinese Communist Party, because we had some really good news on the export front. Some important Aussie industries are now thumbing their noses at the tyrants within the Chinese Communist Party, because we all know China's been trying to damage our economy by crippling some of these export industries. The communists have targeted our barley, our coal, our copper, cotton, timber, sugar, wine, the seafood industries, and they've done it because we had the impertinence to demand the truth behind their lies about the Wuhan flu. Well, economic analysis reveals that their actions, the Chinese communist actions, have reduced our exports to China by about $20 billion over the last year. That's bad news. But the good news is that most of this has been made up or offset by new buyers in other countries. And that is great news for our primary producers. Because an over-reliance on one market, my dad taught me this, an over-reliance on one market or one customer means they essentially own your business. And especially when the customer is as pedantic and as aggressive dictatorship like China is. It leaves us all vulnerable if we're reliant on them. And by all accounts, the impact of the China trade tantrum this past year is going to be less than $1 billion. It's still significant, but it's not a fatal blow. And there's even more good news, though. When we consider the booming price of iron ore, the totality of Aussie exports has actually grown significantly over the last 12 months. That's fantastic news. And it buys us a bit more time to find some more amenable and cooperative long-term trading partners. But it doesn't mean we're out of the woods economically. Eventually, China will find alternative supplies of iron ore, which is why we need to continue to broaden our global sales base in a whole range of export industries. And I also want to point out that our wine and seafood export sectors are still struggling and finding it very, very hard to replace the high-volume, high-value Chinese market. Maybe you know, but around a third of Australian wine exports were previously sent to China, so many in that industry are feeling the pain. And the Australian Southern Rock Lobster industry has been almost 100% reliant on the Chinese market to make a good buck. And that too has all but vanished. And the problems in these two sectors are going to affect us all, of course, because we're Australians. But they're going to be particularly felt in some of our regional communities. And these communities, often comprised of small vignerons and fishers, together with their families, the workers and the supply chains that help them out, are some of what makes Australia truly great. They need to survive. 
That means they need our support through this tough time. And that's why I've got to say I was pleased to see Dan, Trade Minister Dan Tian talking up a Team Australia approach to help us win in Asia. Personally, I think our future economic fortunes are tied to Asia and the great opportunities that lay there will be for our clean food and our mineral products. And a coordinated approach to Asian nations other than China can not only help lessen our reliance on a single country, but it can also help prevent China from dominating the region, which is clearly its intention. Now, we've already made some strategic errors in our China relationship. Kevin Rudd and the Labor Party essentially prostrated themselves at the feet of the Chinese, while the wet Turnbull Bishop government demonstrated their gullibility when they believed China had no interest in militarising the South China Sea. I happen to think the current PM has got pretty much the right approach. Stick up for our country, maintain our dignity in the face of belligerence and give the Chinese, through renewed export success, a diplomatic up yours. Okay. Australia's financial future is in the balance. I mean, there's lots of people who will say that things are going swimmingly, and a lot of the data suggests that. Uh, but is it just a false dawn, or are we in for a prolonged economic boom? I spoke with Ross Greenwood earlier today. He's an expert on these matters. This is what he had to say. Ross Greenwood, thanks for your time tonight. Now, the Australian economy appears to be going gangbusters. New car sales are up, house prices are going up, job uh, unemployment is coming down. Are there any warning signs on the horizon that you see, or is it nothing but net? Well, I've got to say at the moment it's all net, isn't it, really? When you're looking at Australia's economy, um, when you've got house prices rebounding the way in which they have, um, and the signals from the Reserve Bank have all been exactly that. Go for your life. Um, you've got three years to basically make hay. Uh, and so it doesn't matter whether it's the stock market, um, where really dividends are now starting to grow, uh, whether it's consumers mm. spending more money, retailers therefore making more money, um, you know, and even, as you say, car sales, uh, which are up some 22 percent on the month a year ago um, and it doesn't matter whether you're looking at um, Hiluxes or Ford Rangers or whether you're talking about Mazda 3s they are absolutely flying out the door some of them up by 70 percent in sales as compared with a year ago when of course everybody thought that the the world in Australia was going to fall off a, a very big cliff. Yes, and I was one of them, quite frankly. I mean, uh, business confidence, I think, is the highest it's been in 10 or 11 years, maybe even more. And I wonder whether this is just pent-up demand because people couldn't really spend last year or whether it is a sustainable sort of relief rally that uh, is going to kick-start our economy going forward. What's your view on that? Look, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, number one, there was the pent-up demand where Australians, A, recognise a deal when they see one. And if you're seeing a mortgage rate in the ones, you know you've got a good deal. Uh, and that's the reason why a lot of people have had their affordability um, actually improve over this period of time. The second part about it is that more Australians did not lose their jobs than what was um, expected. And certainly people were scared at the time 12 months ago when the pandemic started. People are not scared now that they're going 
going to lose their jobs. In fact, you know, there are some areas where there are skills shortages in Australia. You try and get somebody to do your house up at the moment. Um, you try and get somebody to work in iron ore mines at the moment. I mean, it really is quite tough to get skilled labour in key areas. That being the case, with interest rates in the ones, home loan affordability has improved dramatically. And as soon as you get a person who buys a new home, you get a person who buys a new couch, a new television and a new fridge. And as a result, the retail sector starts to rise. So all of this really feeds off itself. Um, and as you say, it is good news up to the point at which it is not good news and there are simply house prices that go too high, prices that go, go too high and maybe some unemployment starts to creep back into the Australian economy again. Yeah, it seems to me that there's a, a glimmer of inflation that's starting to come in and it's uh, whether it's price uh, demand led inflation or it's uh, uh, inflation because of new money that's flowing into the system. The banks have in a way telegraphed it by suggesting that fixed rate mortgages might have to start to rise a little bit because they're not that confident the Reserve Bank can hold uh, the interest rates at 0.1%. Is that right? Yeah, it is right. And you've only got to look at Australia's long-term government bond rate, which has risen from 0.7% out to 1.8% um, over the past 12 months. Uh, and then look at what the behaviour of the banks is, where the banks now have started to withdraw the super cheap fixed rate loans over four years that they'd previously had. Now, these are all telltales that the banks are very much watching what's happened with interest rates. They're concerned about the prospect of rising interest rates. And notwithstanding the Reserve Bank still saying, you know, open up the sluices, everything's going out the door and really interest rates are going to stay low for three years. And that's shown by, say, for example, six-month money being at 0.2 of a percent mm. on the money markets right now. The, 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 the markets are fearful that if inflation rises at some point, it is inevitable that the Reserve Bank will have to act uh, and will have to send signals that rates could rise unless this exuberance stops. While you've got so much money sloshing around in the economy, while you've got cheap interest rates. And remember, this is all government money that's been borrowed. Uh, what you've got is, is pretty happy times. But at some stage, that is going to have to be stopped. And as soon as it stops, that's when the party stops as well. But, you know, when you look at us internationally, we're the prettiest contestant in the ugly country contest because in America, of course, they've got trillions of dollars sloshing around. There's a few more trillion on the way, I understand. And they're now talking about raising taxes over there. That would have implications for our economy as well, wouldn't it? Well, well, it's a funny thing, this, because Joe Biden, on one hand, becomes the president and then gets into law a $1.9 trillion spending bill. In other words, there's checks out there, $1,400 checks for pretty much anybody in the United States right now. What are they going to do? They're going to spend that money. We know that because that's what happens here. It happens all over the world when the government hands out free money. But then on the other side, what you've got is Joe Biden now saying, through Janet Yellen, his Treasury Secretary, who was formerly the chair of the US Federal Reserve, well, hang on, we're now going to start to have to start to think about how we might get some of this money back. And one way in which they're considering this is saying maybe we should look at the global taxation arrangements of some of the biggest multinationals in the world. Now, that wouldn't, remember, just be Google and Facebook and all the normal suspects, Amazon, that we talk about, that we here in Australia have been trying to get them to pay their fair share of tax. It would include Australia's big multinationals. So here you're talking the likes of CSL, you'd be talking BA, 
BHP. You'd be talking Rio Tinto. These types of companies that currently pay their taxes here in Australia might also be forced to pay a bit more tax in other parts of the world. But this is the way in which the US at least believes it can claw back some of the taxation that it's now paying out to people to try and rescue its economy from the recession and the pandemic as well. But Ross, I mean, realistically, governments around the world have no hope of repaying their debts through increased taxation. They're stimulating the economy by throwing out the free cash and then they're trying to, uh, to rein it in a bit by taking it back through taxes. Um, is this just a lost cause or do you think the US is actually onto something? And is it contagious? These higher taxes, if they're contagious, I don't like them. Well, OK, let's think about this. If you consider that uh, conservatives around the world are going to hate the prospect of paying more taxes, and it doesn't matter whether it's that US idea or indeed the International Monetary Fund has even suggested short-term levies for those who make excess profits. Now, you know, this is not going to play well at the big end of town. It's not going to play well with the miners or indeed the super wealthy um, or indeed the moderately wealthy who might have to pay more taxes as a levy to try and get governments out of their holes. Now, there's going to be a elections in the future, and you can understand in the United States, Republicans would mount a significant campaign to not raise taxes there to try and get out of this problem they've got. Another way of getting out of the debt problem for governments around the world is to allow inflation to rise. You could inflate some of that debt away. But the problem of that is, of course, as soon as you start to get excess inflation that central banks have trouble controlling, you get the prospect for higher interest rates. And we know sure as oats that if you get higher interest rates, even modestly higher interest rates, even here in Australia. The housing boom would stop in a heartbeat. The economic boom would stop in a heartbeat. And so too would money taxes going back into the government coffers. Yeah, for all the confidence, we're in a precarious position and it sounds like a catch-22. I look forward to catching up with you again, Ross Greenwood, and talking about this further. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Good on you, Corey. Thanks. A reminder that uh, we're expecting to go to the Prime Minister's press conference very soon where he's going to provide a vaccine rollout update. And I have to uh, acknowledge that and I hope level with you that he's actually going to update us on the status of the AstraZeneca vaccine because that's the one that's entered restricted use in Britain after the European Medicines Agency said people under 60 were at greater risk of blood clots in the brain if they took that jab. Now, we were assured today the chief medical officer here in Australia, Paul Kelly, said the vaccine is very safe and AstraZeneca told us that the benefits continue to far outweigh the risks. But ANU professor of microbiology, Peter Collinon, has warned regulators that more data is required to adequately assess the risks and benefits of vaccines and possible side effects. The risk will always be lower than the, um, much lower than the benefit, but it may be an altered equation in different groups. Even the Pfizer vaccine, which is the main one put up as being safer, that has been associated with increased deaths in Norway, for instance, and even some clotting. Now, when problems related to AstraZeneca vaccine were first discussed, some politicians did call for a pause in the rollout, including National Senator Matt Canavan. And AstraZeneca at the time claimed there was no evidence of increased blood clot risk from the vaccine. Well, now it appears they've modified their views. But one man who has been following COVID treatments more closely than any other that I know, including the vaccine data, is newly minted independent MP Craig Kelly. He joins me now from Sydney. Craig, um, we're waiting for the Prime Minister to update us, but tell me, in your view, is 
the vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine for under 50s, more dangerous than, than perhaps COVID-19? It's an agency which shows in areas where there is low rates of COVID infection, such as Australia, that there is actually greater risk from the vaccine than there is from COVID. They were the numbers that they put out last night. And they are just irrefutable, those numbers. Uh, even what they called so-called their low uh, incidence of COVID, uh, we have to remember, is 200 times uh, what they put out last night was 200 times higher incidence of COVID than what we have in Australia. So it looks like the data across all age groups shows here in Australia that there is a greater uh, risk of harm from the COVID vaccine than what there is from actually the benefits, the potential benefits that there are. Now, Corey, I, I've been warning about this for over a month now. I've been saying, look, we mm. should put this thing on hold, we should put it on pause until we have the data. You know, you, you can't go around sort of rushing and panicking and sort of rushing out these medical treatments unless you've got the data that you can show it's absolutely safe. And every time I've questioned, I said, look, you know, I'm not some crazy anti-vaxxer, but please show me the data... I've had all these medical bureaus basically sort of laugh in my face, ha, 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 you know, we know what we're doing, it's perfectly safe. And now it looks like they're going to have to eat humble pie and do a backflip and admit, like they've done overnight in uh, Spain did it, Italy did it, Belgium did it, they joined another uh, 13 countries from across Europe. Only a couple of hours ago, Philippines has also uh, suspended the AstraZeneca um, vaccine for the under-60s. And yet we are still here sitting waiting for a decision. What I, Craig, what I find interesting, I'm going to be fascinated by what the Prime Minister's got to say, but today all the health bureaucrats were telling us that this is perfectly safe, there's no real problem with it, we can take it, whatever, and that's in light of the fact that it's been banned permanently by Denmark, Norway, Netherlands right. the, and Latvia, that we've got Germany has banned it for under 60s, right. France for under 55s. Yes. Why are we so late to this party? And how, can we have faith in what the health bureaucrats are telling us when they're contradicting themselves from day to day, it seems well, like? Well, Corey, I, I've been questioning them all the time because I believe that is my job as a member of parliament to question these bureaucrats on the decisions that they are making and saying, show me the evidence. And they've just given us sort of these glib statements. It's safe and effective. It's safe and effective. But now we found out, Corey, as I said, from overnight, the data from the European Medicines Agency, that it is not 100% safe. The effectiveness of the jury uh, is still out. Now, you know, I believe the Australian public deserves to know this information. It's not like we're living in 1984 and uh, ignorance is strength. The public deserve the information to weigh it up for themselves. The public are not stupid. I, I, Put the information out for them and let them decide. Yeah, I remember, though, even one of the great vaccine advocates, which is uh, Bill Gates, he's he invested in vaccines across the globe, is recorded as saying, well, governments will have to indemnify these vaccine developers because, mm. of course, there are risks attached to it. And he identified mm. the fact that the development phase didn't include the normal two or three mm. years of phase three and phase, phase two and phase three testing um, because it had to be produced so quickly. Uh, are we now just seeing the implications of that? Well, I think we are, Corey, but, but this is the uh, beauty of our position in Australia. We've got this low rate of infection. We're taking advantage of our island continent. We're restricting the flights coming in from overseas. 
We've basically got the COVID under control here in Australia, with the exception of you know the, the odd outbreak from hotel quarantines. We can afford okay. not to panic, to sit back and wait and watch and learn Craig, from these mistakes. I've got to interrupt you. The Prime Minister is yeah. just about to do his press conference, so I'm throwing to the Prime Minister okay. right now. Want to stay up to date with the latest news from Australia and overseas? It's a scam. It's a hoax. And find out what's happening in showbiz. And the Oscar goes to... And don't forget sport. Collingwood win the grand final. Our podcast from the newsroom gives you the latest headlines direct from the team at news.com.au. Listen to From the Newsroom wherever you get your podcasts.